Amen. Thank you, Rick. Well, before we dive into God's Word, I'd like to do two things. I want to just acknowledge uh, this is almost uh, some sort of a homecoming for some of our folks who used to attend Trinity. So Tom and Ann Sissel are here. We're so glad that you decided to spend your Sunday with us while you're here in town. David and Lisa Kosi are here. Thank you so much for uh, spending your Sunday while well, you're both pretty much um, out of pocket from home. I know the Kosi's are on vacation, so thanks for driving all the way back down here to um, worship the Lord with us. But I know that Susanna is here, so welcome back. Welcome home, Susanna, yes. Um, and then Faith and Angel, so glad that you're here. And then Grandma, thank you for being here. It's always good to see you. It's always good to have you. Um, I hope I'm not missing anyone, but uh, these are dear folks that have been part of the church and um, come back whenever they're in town, so we're so grateful to all of you. Thanks for being here. And to our guest, my name is Alex. I'm one of the pastor elders here. Tim Merwin is our lead pastor. And right now, he's on a missions um, trip in Colombia. He's with Aaron um, and Christian Moscoso. Both have preached here at Trinity, so you know those men well. So before we dive into the sermon, I want to kind of give us a brief update of where the team has been, where they're at today, and where they're going to be in the next few days. So in this past week on the 16th, which is this past Wednesday, Tim flew out of Orlando into Bogota. And then the following day, he arrived in Barranquilla. Um, and that's where they offered an evening conference. So these three guys are putting on a conference. And the title of that conference is Missions and the Local Church. The audience was comprised of church attenders and seminary students in a variety of levels from, levels from beginning to um, almost completed in their studies. Uh, they offered three sessions, 30 minutes each. Uh, the main idea for that theme is why every church has to be involved in global missions. And then Friday, June 18th, in, still in Barranquilla, they offered an evening class for the men in pastoral training program. The subject was pastoring the flock in the middle of difficult times. So how equipping is that? How encouraging is that so far? Yesterday, uh, Saturday, June 19th, still in Barranquilla, the audience was comprised of seminary students in different levels. They had offered a morning or two morning classes, 15 minutes each. And the topic of that class, those two classes, is the panoramic view of the book of Psalms. Um, after a bit of a rest and lunch, they offered an afternoon conference. Um, the audience were comprised over the audience was comprised of church members, attenders, seminary students at different levels. Three sessions. The topic was God's holiness and the church. I love all these topics. They're so envisioning and encouraging. This morning, Tim, I think, has already preached in Barranquilla in Juan's church. I tried to log on to see if I could catch a little bit of his time on the pulpit, but I think I logged on to a different um, session. So Tim 
um, preached in Juan's church. Most of you know Juan Hernandez was here. He preached at our church. And so um, um, we praise God that, uh, Trinity, you are able to release Tim to do the work of the Lord, to preach the gospel in Colombia. They actually, um, the team divided today. Uh, Aaron preached at Pierre's church, another pastor friend. Christian was, uh, is on double duty. He, he's preaching a sermon in Julio's church and in Ruben's church. So what an amazing schedule. I can't imagine how tired they are. Uh, the 24th of this week, Tim will fly to Riohacha and spend some time in Eduardo's church. And the 27th, which is this Sunday coming up, Tim will be preaching at Eduardo's church. Remember Eduardo? He came here this past spring. Um, so Tim will be preaching there. And then the same day, the 27th, he'll fly back to Bogota after, after church service. And then on the 28th, he'll fly back to Orlando and he'll drive back with Kim or whoever's picking him up and he'll be back in his home in his town. So with all that, there's a lot going on for those guys. Let's pray for them, for God to strengthen them in the remaining time of their mission trip. Father, we want to lift up Tim and Aaron and Christian. We thank you that you have gifted these men specifically for extra local ministry. We thank you that you have released them from their families and for all their local responsibilities to care for the souls of those churches in Colombia. And we praise you for your word that has power to transform and sanctify. And we pray that as these men sow the seed of your word, that it would fall into fertile soil, that it would take root and grow and bear fruit for your kingdom. Lord, we ask that you would strengthen these men as they become weary mentally and spiritually and physically. We pray that they would serve with the strength that you provide by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would protect them from food poisoning and we pray that you would grant them safe travels as I know Tim just individually has three in-flight, in-country flights and Lord, the, the traveling schedule can alone can make one weary. So we pray for divine strength for these men. We pray that you would provide um, hospitality and comfort to them as they need the rest, the gift of rest to refocus and re-energize and to be able to teach and preach your word, to instruct the students and to edify the church. And Lord, we pray for, for safe travels back home for each and every one of them, that you would bring them back home to their families Lord, and to their respective local churches. We thank you and we pray this in the name of Jesus. And Father, I pray for help as I preach your word this morning. Speak to your church, O oh God, through your word. Holy Spirit, grant grace. Remove all distractions. Help us to focus on your word. Help us to receive your word as God's word, Father. Sanctify your bride. Help us to become more like Christ. In the name of Jesus, amen. 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 The title of this sermon is The Gospel Driven Life. The Gospel Driven Life. 
And here's the, the, the driving theme of the sermon. Since God has destined us for salvation through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we are to keep alert. We are to keep awake and sober, having put on love, faith, and hope as we wait for the coming of the Lord. The simple answer or the question that we should ask in our text this morning is, as Christians, how are we to live our lives as we wait for the second coming of the Lord? So how are we supposed to be living our lives as Christians? A simple answer is that we live our lives informed and driven by the gospel. And I hope to persuade you with that out of verses nine and 10. How are we to live our lives? We are to live our lives informed by the gospel and driven by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how should we live our lives in light of these last days? I have three headings for us. If you're taking notes, the first heading is this. As children of light, we are to keep awake and sober. We'll look at verses 5 through 8. So would you look with me in your Bibles at verse 5? It says, For you are all children of light, children of the day, and we are not of the night or of the darkness. As we read our Bibles, when you come up to the word for, it connects, that word for connects what is about to follow that verse with a verse previous to that. So the word for connects this verse to, to verse four. So look with me at verse four. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. Trinity. If you are a Christian, praise God that you are no longer in darkness. Amen. 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 Praise God for that. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says about darkness in Colossians 1 verses 13 through 14. He says, those in Christ Jesus have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Listen to what Peter said in 1 Peter 2.9. It says, but you are a chosen race. Trinity, you are a chosen race, a holy a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you might proclaim the excellences, excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. 1 Peter 2.9. Church, what an amazing truth. Praise God that we are no longer in darkness and that we have become children of light. Paul says that we are children of the day. So how are we children of light and of the day? That's something that we need to ask ourselves. How are we children of light and children of the day? Well, Paul in verse 5 is actually using a Hebrew idiom, or if you will, a Hebrew expression. Okay, so to be children of a specific quality, well, that means that you were characterized by that quality. 
So if you're young in your faith, you might be wondering, how did you become a children of light? How did you become a children of light? It's Tim texting us. <laughs> See what happens when I go away. I don't know what that means, but okay. I won't read his text, sorry. Um, how do we become children of light, children of the day? Well, for that, we need to go to other passages like 1 John 1, 5. 1 John 1, 5 tells us that God is light. And then 1 John 3, 1 tells us that we are children of God. Listen to how the Apostle John puts it. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So God is light. Then he says this in 1 John 3, 1. We see what, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. God is light, and we are children of God, and so therefore we are children of light. So the Apostle Paul, back to our text, continues, since we are children of light, then we are no longer children of night or darkness. The Apostle John says something about that. He says this in 1 John 1, 5 through 7. Why are we no longer children of night or of darkness? John says this. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Yeah. Amen. 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 We have become children of God. We have become children of light because Jesus cleansed us from all of our sin, church. Jesus not only came to die for the forgiveness of our sin, but he also came to shed his blood to wash away the stain of sin. Jesus, sacrificial death has made us acceptable to God the Father. Therefore, church, we are not to walk in darkness. If we are children of light, children of the day, then how are we supposed to live in these last days? Look with me at verse 6. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and sober. The word sleep there in verse 6 is used differently than how he used it in chapter 4, verses 13 through 15. In chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, he used the word sleep there to mean those believers who have died. But in chapter 5, he uses it in a different context. He uses it as believers who are asleep, who are morally and spiritually disengaged and or living without a consciousness of the coming of the day. So the word sleep here means to be in moral lethargy. 
is to be in moral lethargy. It's not the word dead. It's to be asleep, which means the Christians should not be asleep morally. In this context, in chapter 5, to be asleep as Christians is to habitually sin. Now, I understand that we, st- we all still have a sin nature and that we all still fail in sin. But to habitually sin is totally different. The Apostle John would say, no one can claim to be a Christian and still live in evil and immorality. We can't love God and court sin at the same time. Because God is light and we are children of light by God's grace. By God's grace, church. Our love for him ought to motivate us to become more like him. To hate sin and evil and to love good and what is true. Church. God's word was not written just to be informative. It is to be transformative. Have you ever floated a little toy boat down a stream? When you do, it naturally drifts with the flow of the water, right? Well, in life, we are just like that. We naturally drift away from godliness and we naturally drift into moral lethargy. Isn't God's word so good to us today, church? It helps us. God's word helps us to recalibrate, if you will, our lives. And if you're really paying attention, if you're really listening, you will discern your heart and you will know how to recalibrate recalibrate your life so that you are not asleep so that you are not in moral lethargy. Trinity Community Church, let me ask you this. In what ways are you asleep? In what ways are you asleep? In what ways are you morally indifferent or morally lethargic? I like what Josiah Monk said the other day to a group of us guys. He said, turn that TV off, turn the cell phone off, and spend time with your wife and spend time with your family. There's a lot of immorality out there, isn't there? And we let... Oh. Lethargy? Lethargic. So lethargic. Yes, thank you. (laughs) Sorry, I just assumed that. Um, That's good. (laughs) So when we're lethargic, we're kind of um, not alert or awake, so to speak, to our spiritual condition and the immorality of this world. Um, Now... I know I've brought up watching TV quite a bit in my previous sermons, so I'm not against watching TV. I'm not. I watch TV. I'm not against watching movies or videos. But what I'm encouraging you, church, is when you do, don't be morally asleep. Don't be morally asleep. Be selective in what you watch. 
there's a lot of immorality out there, and they, we often allow immorality, immorality to come and creep into our homes through our electronic devices, don't we? So don't be awake, or don't be asleep. Be awake. Be sober-minded as you live out your lives in these last days. Men, fathers, guard the purity of your home. Guard the purity of your wives. Guard the purity of your children. So let me ask you this individually. What do you need to do? What kind of changes do you need to make in your home, in your marriage, at work, at school, where you play, where you shop, so that you are not morally lethargic? Parents of younger children, raise up your young children in the instruction and the discipline of the Lord. Raise them up in godliness and holiness and purity. Now is the right time to start parenting them in what holiness and godliness means. Don't wait until they are teens. It gets more difficult. Now, for those of you who are parents of teens, it's not too late to teach them the value of holiness and godliness and purity. With God, everything is possible. So there's no condemnation there. Verse 6 says, So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. So to keep awake and, and, and be sober means to keep morally alert. Be morally alert and, and, and calm as the day of the Lord approaches. It means to be clear-headed by being mentally and spiritually prepared for the coming of Christ. Church, these days are not a time for spiritual liturgy. To be sober means to live with your eyes open and to be ready for the day of the Lord. So what does it look like for us practically to live awake and to live soberly? Here's one example. I know of of a guy who is spiritually weak in his own strength, but he is intimately aware of his struggles with his sin. He continually pursues God for divine strength in his pursuit of godliness and holiness. And so this is what he does. Daily, he seeks to confess his sin. Daily, he seeks to confess his sin to God. The lust of the flesh, the lust of material things. And with God's help, He seeks to daily, prayerfully meditate on holy scriptures like Romans 13, 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ that you may not make provisions of the flesh and gratify its desires. He meditates on Ephesians 5, 18 to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He meditates on Romans 8, 14, to be led by the Holy Spirit. He meditates on Galatians 5, 16, to walk by the Spirit or with the Spirit so that he might not gratify the desires of his flesh. Church, that's what it looks like to be alert and awake and to be sober-minded. He prays for God's, he prays for God, he prays for God to destroy the works of the devil 
1 John 3, 8. He prays that God would destroy the, the devil himself, Hebrews 2, 14. So how else can we live awake and sober? I like what one commentary said. He said this, this is the author of this commentary. We are not to be complacent, but neither do we live frustrated and afraid. He said, we can hear the tragic news of the day, yet we do not lose heart. We experience the difficulties of life, but we do not give up. We know that our future is secure in God's sovereignty, in his sovereign hands, so we can live our lives calmly and obediently. Well, I had an opportunity to be a firsthand witness of this when a Christian lady's husband passed away this week or last week. Had the opportunity to sit down with her and her family. Yes, she had her moments of grief. She just lost her husband of 39 years. But instead of being frustrated, she chose to rejoice in God. And as I sat down with her family, and I sat, as I sat down with her, she and her family did not lose heart. Church, in the midst of grief and loss of someone through death, this was a beautiful sight to behold. Life just got more difficult for her, but she is choosing not to lose heart. She is choosing not to give up. I asked her, since your husband has now died, how are you going to be doing financially? She's choosing to believe that God is sovereign over her life, over her future. Therefore, she knows, she believes that her future is secure. And so she remained calm through this time. She knows and she believes that one day Christ will return whether she's still alive or whether she is passed, that one day she will be with Christ and one day she will be reunited with her husband and along with the others who have passed away before her. That is a demonstration of how I believe we ought to live our lives awake and sober with Christ's second coming in mind. She was a children of light. But what about those in darkness? Look with me at verse 7. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. Paul was contrasting the children of light with the rest of the world who are of night and of darkness. Darkness is the realm of sin and evil. There are those who are in the domain of darkness and separated from God, from all that is holy and good. Simply put, the unbelievers in this world are not alert. Christians are to be awake and sober, be morally alert. But for those who are in darkness, they are not alert. They are like drunken men and women living in a false paradise and enjoying a false security. 
I've been able to, well, my family and I have been able to go up to the mountains several times, and I've seen unbelievers who retire purchase property on the mountain. They build a log cabin, and they live a nice and peaceful life. They enjoy the peace, the quiet, and the security that the mountain life offers. But when the day of the Lord comes, there will be wrath and there will be sudden destruction and they will not escape it. Church, knowing this should give us compassion towards those who are lost. And having experienced God's grace and mercy and forgiveness, then we should seek to share the treasure with them that we have found in Christ Jesus. thank God we are not in darkness for that day to surprise us like a thief church as children of light let us live our lives awake and sober church so how else can we live awake and sober Paul answers this question in verses 9 and 10. By putting on hope, faith, and love. Excuse me, verse 8. Look with me at verse 8. But since we belong to today, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. How else are we to live our lives awake and sober? By putting on faith love, and hope. Faith, love, and hope here are described as spiritual armor to protect us from from the fallen and evil world. Faith, love, and hope is our spiritual armor to protect our hearts and our minds from this fallen and evil world. Our country and our great universities that were once founded on Christian principles are becoming more and more secular. Other countries are becoming more and more secular, and it seems like the world is getting worse and worse as we see it. Well, faith and love are like the breastplates that protect our hearts. The breastplate of faith protects our heart, our faith toward God. Faith is the conviction of truth that God is the source of eternal life. The breastplate of love protects our hearts so that we can continue to love God and his people. Love rejoices with truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, church. That's why we put on love in these last days. 
Hope is described as a sturdy helmet to protect our minds. Now, hope of salvation does not mean the hope that at last that we will be saved. No, hope of salvation means that the hope that salvation gives to us. You see the difference? Putting on hope means having a joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation from this fallen and evil world. I've heard of salvation described in different ways. Here's one way. There are three tenses in the doctrine of salvation. First, the past. We have been saved from the guilt and penalty of sin. Hallelujah. Praise God. Second, the present. We are being saved from the power and pollution of sin. Hallelujah. Praise God. Third, the future. We shall be saved from the very presence of sin when Christ returns. Church, what a glorious truth. Church, this is why we put on faith, hope, and love as we wait on the second coming of the Lord. Because God uses our faith, our hope, and our love to sustain us in the midst of hardship. He will give us divine power. He will give us divine enablement to endure till the end. He who began a good work in you will surely put it into completion, church. Remember that. So as children of light, we are to stay awake and sober. We are to be alert. As children of light, we are to put on faith, hope, and love as we wait for the second coming of the Lord. Here's another question. Why can we Put on faith, hope, and love as we wait. Why can we put on faith, hope, and love as we wait? Because we are children of God. And God has destined us for salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is why. Look with me at verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep or dead, we might live with him. Church, we stay awake and sober because God has saved us from his justified wrath. We can put on faith, hope, and love because God destined us to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our salvation is possible because Jesus died for us. I love how clear verses 9 and 10 are. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ died for us. Crystal clear. It is the gospel that made us children of light. It is the gospel that motivates us to stay awake, alert, and sober in these last days. Church, get this. We don't stay awake and sober. We don't put on love, hope, and faith so that we might obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. No, God has already destined us to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ before we were born. 
That is why living awake and sober lives, it's not a burden, church. It's not a duty that we have to do. It is a privilege. It is a joy. We get to. It's really not about we have to. It's about we get to. What grace, what mercy. Church, it doesn't matter what happens in life. Whether we are awake or dead, we will be with Jesus always and forever. Oh, what a happy day that will be. Listen, if you're not a believer of Jesus Christ as the hope, the savior of the world, and you are listening to this, perhaps God is calling you to himself. So if you're not a believer, if you're live streaming, if you're listening to this, perhaps God is calling you to himself. It's no accident that you're here. It's no accident that you're listening to the preached word of God. I want you to know that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And if you're hearing the good news of this salvation that this Bible is speaking of, then perhaps he wants you to know that you have not been destined for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not a believer, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. I want to appeal to you to repent of your sin. Put your faith and trust in God, the Father. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved from this wrath that is to come. And you will have eternal life to the praise of his glorious grace. Worship team, if you would please come and join me on the platform, I'm going to conclude very shortly. So how else are we to live our lives as we wait for the second coming of the Lord? Look with me at verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. This verse 11 sound familiar to you? It should because it, it parallels chapter 4, verse 18. Look with me at chapter 4, verse 18. Paul said in verse 18, Therefore, encourage one another with these truths. In chapter 4, Paul used the word encourage to mean to console and comfort one another in the context of death. But in chapter 5, he uses the word encourage to mean to build up, to exhort, to instruct one another with these truths. Church, this is why community groups at Trinity is so valuable to us. This is why we value community groups. It is at community groups that we can encourage one another and receive encouragement. It is at community group that we can build one another up and receive the building up of one another as we wait for the second coming of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise you this morning. 
for instructing us on how we are to live our lives in these last days. So by the power of your Holy Spirit indwelling in us, Lord, help us to keep awake and sober. Father, help us to put on faith, love, and hope to protect our hearts from being drawn away with worldly things and worldly sorrows and worldly worries. Help us to put on the helmet of hope to protect our minds so that we can be reminded that you are sovereign over all things and that the hope of our salvation is that we know you are the true source of our eternal life. And we know, we know in truth and in your word that you will one day return for your bride. Until then, Father, help us, God, to be informed by the gospel, to live our lives driven by the gospel for your glory alone and for the good of our families. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, would you stand? Let's respond in worship.